This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening, Liberty Hill. Tonight's Bible study lesson will be coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 36, and I will be teaching out of the NIV version. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for another opportunity to come into your presence to study your word. Lord God, it is my prayer that you open every ear to hear and every heart to receive all that it is that you would have for us to receive. And dear God, I will be so careful to give you all the honor, glory, and praise because I recognize that it all belongs to you. And so it is in Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took, him to, and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing in all of Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meetings. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my son, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in, the stature, in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestors out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephah in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. 
The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done in Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. And all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead. Appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. So endeth the reading. And so here in this evening's text, we will find corruption in leadership. And not only will we find corruption in leadership, we will also find the lack of accountability and the consequences for the lack of account accountability. So again, as we look at tonight's text, again, we will see corruption in leadership and the lack of accountability and consequences. And so let's look at verse 12, where it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. In the King James Version, it says sons of Belial, which means wicked. So Eli's sons, whose name is Hophni and Phinehas, they were scoundrels. They were priests and they had no regard for the Lord. And so in 13, it says, now it was the practice of the priests, and we're talking about these two priests, not the overall priestly office. It's, it was their, this is something that they had started doing. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, would come with a three, the priest's servant, those who were serving Hophni and Phinehas, their servants, would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled. That means while the person that was preparing the sacrifice, that they were bringing the sacrifice to the house of the Lord, that, that they were preparing it, um, Hophni and Phinehas' servant would come with a three-pronged three fork and plunge the fork into the pan, kettle, or cauldron, or pot, and whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And this was the practice of these two priests. This was um, how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh to sacrifice. And also, even before the fat, this is verse 15, even before the fat was burnt, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And then as we look at verse 16, if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, then take whatever you want. The servant would then say, no, hand it over. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So here we find corruption, the beginning of uh, where we see corruption. Here we see two priests who are supposed to be serving in the house of the Lord in the tabernacle and they are supposed to be serving as priests. And there was a certain way that they were supposed to be exercising their priestly office. One of which is when, um, and it is believed that here, the offering here that is being offered is a fellowship offering. And with the fellowship offering, there was a certain way that they were supposed to um, handle their priestly duties. And if we look at the priestly duties of how to handle a fellowship offering, we find that in Leviticus 7, where it talks about the priest's share. And so 
for the priest to share when it comes to the fellowship offering, their share, the, the, what was allotted to them by God was the breast and the right thigh. Or in some translations, they use shoulder, which the thigh and the shoulder is the same thing. It's like the leg of the um, animal. And that was their portion. The fat part of the sacrifice was God's. So there was a portion that the Lord gets. There was a portion that the priest get. And then there's a portion that the offer, the person that is offering the sacrifice gets. But here, as we see in uh, verse 13 and 14, we see that it was the practice of these two priests that when the people would come to offer a sacrifice, they would send their servants with a three-pronged fork to, um, and while the meat was being boiled, while it was being prepared, they would go in it and plunge a fork into it and take whatever they wanted for themselves. Again, this is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. This is how they treated everyone who came to sacrifice to the Lord. But then again, like in 15, it says, but even before the fat was burnt, again, that's the portion that belongs to God. The priest servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. But when a when the per the people who were doing the offering, they knew that God is supposed to get the first portion of they, he's supposed to get his portion first, meaning the fat. They're supposed to burn the fat on the altar. And then once that is burnt up, then the, the offerer will offer the priest his portion, which was the breast and the thigh or shoulder. And then the, what remained would be the um, person who was doing the sacrificing. But not here. What we see with the corruption is first, it's a dangerous thing when you're taking out of the, the sacrifice before God gets his. And not only that, you're taking whatever you want. So you're not only just taking and you're disregarding God's portion, you're also disregarding the uh, person that is doing the offering their, per, per, their portion. So how does that, what does that look like in our own lives, within our own communities and within our own places of worship? What does that look like? What that looks like for us is think about when we think about the tithe, where Malachi 3 and um, 10 tells us to bring the tithe, our tithes and offering into the storehouse. When we think about the tithe, the tithe belongs to God. 10% of our income belongs to God, meaning that it never was ours. I know a lot of times we like to think that we're doing God a favor by, and we think we're blessing God by giving our 10%. No, the 10% belongs to God. It was already his from the get. So that's not something that we're doing him a favor and giving it belonged to him that was his and so how that looks like within our own lives is when we get our paychecks and, or you know if we have our income come in we get our paychecks or however that looks for us and instead of giving God what belongs to him we go ahead and take out what we want and do what we want to do um, we get our fill if you will, and we do everything that we want to do, and then we leave the rest for whatever we want to do for God or anybody else or the poor or our families or what have you. So that is one way that we can see some of that happening within our own lives, where we are, again, where we we taking our paychecks, our income that is coming in, and before we even think about giving God his, we like the priests are sticking a three-pong fork in our income and we're taking out what we want, the best portion, the best parts, and then we're leaving the leftover stuff, what the stuff that we don't want. We we leave that over, we leave that leftover over to God and or to our families or to whatever else we need to pay or to the poor. And so again, they took out of the pot. They broke protocol, they broke rules, they broke commands of God by going and self being self-serving, taking what they wanted, and then leaving 
the rest for God, taking their, their portion before God's portion. And so the tithe is one way that we can see within our own lives how sometimes we mishandle um, our money. Again, God is supposed to get his first. And then we get what we are supposed to get, what is allotted to us. And then you're supposed to leave what is for someone else. We're not supposed to take from other people their portion. And we're definitely not supposed to take God's portion. It's a dangerous thing to be fooling around with God's portion. But, but again, we should only take what is allotted to us. We should not. And because that's stealing. When we're taking things that don't belong to us, that does not rightfully belong to us, that is being a thief. It's not only just greed, but it's being a thief. And so, again, taking things that are allotted for someone else and we're taking it upon ourselves to take it ourselves or taking our portion off the top without giving God his first. Again, that's how... Our, our lives reflect this portion of the scripture. And so that's one portion of the corruption that we are seeing. Another portion that we are seeing in the scripture that these two priests are doing is um, notice in first, let's go back to verse 16. It says, if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first. I mean, they even had enough sense to know that this portion, this stuff, this part right here belongs to the Lord. And then take whatever you want. And I like that part because they were more concerned about God's portion than they was their own. Because again, it says, if the person said to them, let the fat be burned first. Again, that's God's portion. And then they went on to say, then take whatever you want. They didn't really care. The people that's doing the offering, although they knew that, that, that what these two priests were doing was wrong, they really fought for God to get his portion. But even though they fought for God to get their his portion, because they wasn't really worried about theirs. They was like more worried about God getting his than they was about them getting what they were supposed to get. And so they said, let the fat be burned first, meaning give God his part, then take whatever you want. And then the servant would answer says, no, hand it over. That's bold. <laughs> That's scary. No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. That portion where it says, I'll take it. No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So the, another part of this corruption is they were abusing. Th there was an abuse of power. They were priests. And instead of doing things the right way, they used intimidation and force to get what they wanted. Don't that look like what is going on in our country? As we speak, abuse of power, people in leadership abusing their positions of power and using intimidation and force to get what they want. And not only do we see that in Washington and across the United States, period, but definitely in Washington where we've seen the abuse of power being played out for the last four years. But we also can see it within some of our own lives. We see it in our churches where people are in these positions of power and they're using intimidation and they're using their positions to get or to manipulate, intimidate and get what they want. They're using their position for self-serving reasons. Or what about on our jobs where people in leadership roles abuse their power? There's an abuse of power where they're using intimidation to get what they want. It's self-serving to push. They're using their position of power to push their selfish agendas. It's in the church. It's in corporate America. It's on your job. It's even in jobs like corporate America. It's at fast food restaurants. It's at corner stores. It's at the mall. It's everywhere. There's this thing of abuse of power where people are using intimidation and manipulation 
to get what they want, to push their agenda. And again, it's happening in the church. Abuse of power. Using intimidation tactics, using manipulation tactics to get what you want. And so again, we see this corruption happening here. We, seen, we see greed. We're seeing uh, theft. We're seeing abuse of power with these two priests. And so not only um, do we see this abuse of power, but we also see the corruption. If we, we jump over to verse 22, it says that partway down in verse 22, it says that they were they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting again. Now we see corruption with immorality. Here is sexual immorality at its finest, adultery. These two priests were married. They had wives. If you read further in chapter 3 or it's either 3 or 4, it names that they had wives. So these priests were married, but yet they were sleeping with the women who were serving at the door of at the entrance of the tent of meetings. What does that look like for us? Like if, in today's time, meaning that these priests or what we would call them in our church today, preachers, pastors, elders, bishops, they were sleeping with the women in the church, women who were serving in the church. Again, these men are married, number one. And number two, you should never be trying to sleep or with women who are serving, with anybody who is serving in your church. Again, these are men in leadership roles. And that even says something about people in corporate America or, at, or in, in these corporations or these place of employment where they're using their positions to make sexual advances towards women. And it could happen the opposite way. It can be women in powerful positions who are um, sleeping with men who, should, who are serving in their companies or serving in their churches. So again, they, they are corrupt. These priests are corrupt. They're greedy. They're, they're operating in greed and theft. There's, there's abuse of power. They're immoral. Again, they're having sexual relationships with women who are not their wives. So again, this is what we're seeing here. We're seeing corruption. But not only are we seeing the corruption, we are also seeing the lack of accountability. And we see where we find the lack of accountability. Look at verse the bottom of verse 25. Early on, you know, their father brings to their attention the report that they were having. But it says in verse 25, his sons, however, even though their father. Actually, let's go up to verse 22. Um, and then we will bring this all into context. It says that, okay, after they were doing all that they were doing, um, it says in verse 22, Eli was very old and he heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel and how he was, how they were, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent. And then he, he says to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about the wicked deeds, deeds of yours. And then he says, no, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one, then he goes on to say, if one person sins against another, God mediates for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? But again, it says his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. So here we find we find all this corruption in leadership. But we see this lack of accountability. Because although they knew it was brought to their attention, they knew that. People were talking. They knew their father had came and said something to him about it. 
and they knew that they was not supposed to be doing things like that. They knew that they was not supposed to take what didn't belong to them. They knew that that was wrong, but there is no accountability. They continued to do what they were doing. Again, it says they did not listen to their father's review. That clearly shared, that's an indication when they don't listen to their father's rebuke, that means they continue to do what they were doing. They didn't care. There was a lack of accountability. And so we see that in our country today. There is a lack of accountability. They will not take accountability for their actions. They continue to do what they do and don't think that there's any type of recourse or any type of um, consequence. They continue to push the envelope, push the envelope. We see that, we've seen that in Washington where there's no, there's a lack of accountability. Again, we see the father brought it to their attention because one might say, well, their dad tried to tell him he was trying to make them count. He brought it to their attention. He mentioned it, but he, there was no consequence about it. Here, Eli is their father first. And then he's the high priest also. He's talking to him. He's telling them it's wrong. They shouldn't do it. But there's no consequence. But Numbers chapter 50, 15 verses 30 through 31 says that if anyone, this is the word, if anyone sins defiantly, blasphemes uh, against the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. So there should have been some accountability. Eli should have held them accountable for their actions. They sinned across the board. They were greedy. They took more than what they were supposed to take. They stole. They took more than they were supposed to take. They stole from God. They stole from the people. There was an abuse of power. They were operating, operating in immorality, sexual immorality, adultery. But all he did was talk to him. There was, he executed no consequence. But numbers again, numbers 15, chapter 15, 30 through 31 says anyone sins who sins defiantly. And let's say, let's just say for entertainment purpose, let's say that when they were doing this, they really didn't know they were doing anything wrong. But when their father brought it to their attention, again, in verse 25, it says their father's rebuke. They did not listen to their father's rebuke. So even let's say they didn't know that it was wrong. But once they once their father rebuked them, sharing with them the, they're wrong. They didn't listen. They continued to do it. And there was no accountability. Their father. Let's just look at it in a fatherly way. These are your sons. They're doing wrong. Our duties as parents is to lead and guide our children in the right way. And part of that is to bring correction. What does the Bible say? Spare the rod, spoil the child. We have to bring correction. Part of parenting is bringing correction. But all he did was talk to him, told him, oh, that's wrong. Y'all was wrong for that. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. The people are talking. But then as a high priest, one who is in leadership that holds an office higher than them, he still didn't bring any consequences towards them. He just talked to him. Again, they did not listen to their father's rebuke. What does that look like in some of our lives? Do we lack accountability in certain areas in our life? Even when things have been brought to our attention, are we like Hophni and Phineas? Do we not listen to rebuke? When the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of some things that we've been doing wrong. Do we not listen to the Holy Spirit? Do we press override and continue to do what we do? 
Again, do we lack accountability? What about when someone pulls us to the side, whether it's on our job or in the church or in the home, whether it's a parent or a spouse, when they bring rebuke, when they bring correction, do we listen or do we, like these two sons of Eli, refuse to listen and continue in our corruptive, our corruptive behaviors? Do we have lack of accountability? Do we take things, do we take more than what we're supposed to take? Do we get our own feel of things before we even give God his portion? Do we take our check and buy up whatever we want and then whatever's left is whatever's left? Are we in positions of power where we're abusing our position? Are we using intimidation and manipulation to get what we want, to push our own personal agendas? Are we operating in immorality, sexual, greed, anger, any kind of immorality? Are we operating in ungodliness with a lack of accountability? Again, has the Holy Spirit tapped us on our shoulder? Has the Holy Spirit come and whispered in our ear, telling us what's wrong and how we should repent and do things a different way? Or are we someone that is sitting in a position where we have the power to make someone accountable for their actions, but we refuse to. All we do is give them a little talk and send them on their way. Are we that person who refuses to hold people accountable for their corruption, for their immorality, for their abuse of power? And so again, these two sons of Eli are operating in corruption. They're greedy. They're abusing their, their positions. There's an abuse of power here taking place. They're operating in immorality. And then when their father rebukes them and, try, and, and talks to them and tells them what they are doing wrong, they refuse to listen. They keep on doing what they're doing. There's, they have a lack of accountability. And so again, their father... Their dad, their high priest, failed to hold them accountable. But then as we look at 27, even though their father failed to hold them accountable, the word of God came to judge them. Let's look at verse 27. It says, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, notice that the word, the man of God came to Eli. He didn't come to the sons. He came to Eli. Eli was the one sitting in a place of power, higher than theirs. So he, the, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. So again, the word of the Lord is, is showing up here. And the word of the Lord says, he said, did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors family when you were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephah. Again, he's, he's sharing with him. He's reminding Eli that God chose him and he, and he chose his family. He's reminding him how out of all the tribes of Israel, God chose his family to be priests, to serve in his tabernacle to burn incense and to wear the ephod in his presence. He says, I chose you. He's reminding them. And then he says, he also gave your his ancestors all the food offering presented by the Israelite. He says, he's now he's reminding him, I chose your family and I gave them the food offering presented by the, again, there was a portion of the food that he is given. This is not something they had to 
to uh, go out and work for, he's giving them that as he's giving them this portion. He allotted this portion for them. And then he goes on to say, now he's saying, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? And then look at this. He says, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Wow. So I always wondered why didn't Eli hold them accountable for their actions? But here we see why he wasn't holding them accountable because it says, why do you honor your sons more than me? But look at this. It says, by fattening yourselves on the choice part of every offering made by the people of Israel. The reason why Eli wasn't holding them accountable is because he was benefiting from it too. And could it be, as we look towards Washington and other places, another um, government offices across the world and in corporations across the U United States. Could it be that the reason why certain ones aren't holding uh, corrupt leaders in uh, for accountability, could it be because they are um, benefiting from it as well? Could it be that the reason why some in D.C. was not holding President Trump accountable for all of the corrupt activities that he was doing is because they were benefiting it benefiting from I'm sorry benefiting from it too could it be that the reason you and I perhaps aren't holding people accountable is because we're benefiting from that could it be that the reason some of some of the people in your company won't hold certain people in leadership accountable is because they're benefiting from it. Could it be in your church that some of the leaders won't hold someone in a leadership role accountable because they're benefiting from it? Again, God is saying, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves? on the choice parts of every offering made by the people. So he's accusing Eli of honoring his sons more than he honors him. Again, not only fattening yourself up on what the priests are taking, you're benefiting from it too. You're partaking in it. Your hands is in it too. You might not be the one going to do, uh, going to get it. The servants are going to get it, but you're benefiting from it too, Eli. But not only are you fattening yourselves up with it, you honor your sons more than you honor me. When we are followers of Christ, we should never honor anybody over God. We should never. We should never honor our spouse over God. We should never honor our children, our parents. Um, Enter, certain enter, um, all entertain, entertainers, no one should be honored over God. We should always choose to do what's right, regardless if it's our mama, our daddy, our husband, our children. If they ain't doing something right and it's something that God is frowning upon, we should always honor God over them. We should always choose to do what's right. You know, people always saying, you know, blood is thicker than water. I want to challenge you and say the Holy Spirit is thicker than all of it. The Holy Spirit will ride with you. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide you. It's going to be there when everybody else fails you. God will always be there. God is our ride or die. God is with us. We should never honor anything above God. Many of us have seen that happen in our lives where we put all this stock into people and we put all this trust and this faith into individuals only to be let down. So the only one we should ever honor 
is God. Yes, we should honor other people, but we should never honor them above God. And so again, he goes on to tell this, this man of God tells him, therefore, here goes the consequence. He says, therefore, verse 30, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised the members of your family would minister before me forever. That was the Lord's promise. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done in Israel, no one in your family line will reach will ever reach an old age. Everyone that you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. And all your descendants will die in the prime of their life. Was it worth it, Eli? Was it worth it, Hophi and Phineas? You did all of that. Only to lose it all. All of that. Greed. Abuse of power. Sexual immorality. Lack of accountability. Failing to hold those in leadership accountable for their actions. He did all of that. Failing to honor God above man. Fattening yourselves up on the choice parts of every offering made by the people of Israel. You did all of that only to lose your positions. Not only did you lose, but your family line has been cut short. Was it worth it? And those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Is operating in corruption worth it? Because although those in leadership that have the power to hold you accountable, hold us accountable, Although they don't, and it looks like we're getting away with things and we keep pushing the envelope. The day will come when the word of the Lord will come. And we will have to answer the consequence of the Lord. Whether it's on this side of heaven or the other side of glory. We're going to answer to our behaviors. Our corrupting behaviors. So is it worth it? Is what I'm operating in that God is clearly frowning upon? Is it worth being cut off? Is it worth our sight being destroyed? Meaning that we want our vision to be cut off. Our strength will be cut off. Again, it says... He says, every one of you, I'm in 33, every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength. So he's going to either cut you off. And if he doesn't cut you off right away, he's going to destroy your sight, meaning that you have no, you will have no vision and sap your strength. What good would you be then? The Bible says, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, you perish. Without strength, what good are you? What good are we? And then he goes on and says, and what happens in verse 30, 34, he says, and what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. Wow. God says he told him what the consequence is going to be. And then he told him that this will serve as a sign to you. That what I'm saying to you. Is real is the truth. He says. What happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phineas will be a sign to you. 
They will both die on the same day. And then he goes on and says, I will raise up a priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind and will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Wow, again, God is saying, because you did all this, because they, Eli and his sons, because y'all did all that, Hophni and Phinehas, you were corrupt, you were greedy, you abused your power, you were involved with sexual immorality, you lacked accountability, and then Eli, you refused to hold them accountability, and plus you partook in their corruption. And because of this, these are the consequences. You will be cut off. And those in your family who the Lord doesn't cut off, he will destroy their sight and sap their strength. And they will find themselves one day bowing down, begging for a piece of silver, a loaf of bread, and asking to appoint me some priestly office so I can have food to eat. God had already taken care of you, but because of your greed, you messed it up for not just yourselves, but your entire line. And that's something that we need to realize. Our actions have consequences down the line. They don't just affect us. They, they affect everything that's connected to us. But even throughout all of this corruption and even though we've seen all this greed and all this ugliness happening all through this text. We see that if we look at verse 18, it says, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. After all and even while all of this is going on. All this corruption is going on. Samuel is ministering before the Lord. Not only is he ministering before the Lord, it says in 21, at the bottom of 21, it says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So all of this is going on. All of this corruption is going on, but we find Samuel, he's doing the right thing. He's, he's, he keeps serving. He keeps doing what's right. He's growing. Again, if we look at um, verse at the bottom of verse 21, we see, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then when we look at verse 26, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. This mirrors what um, um, Luke chapter 2, 52 says about Jesus. It said, Jesus increased in wisdom and statue and in favor with God and man. So while all of this corruption is going on, we see Samuel. Samuel is still doing the right thing. He's ministering before the Lord. He's, he's, he grew up in the presence of the Lord. He, he is growing in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So here God is raising up another person. He's raising up someone in the same house, in the same environment where they are choosing to do wrong. He is choosing to do what is right. Again, he is finding favor with the Lord and with people. And not only that, we see that Elkanah and his wife, they are continually coming up to the house of the Lord every year after year to um, present their offering. To sacrifice unto the Lord. Even though all of this mess is going on, they're continuing to bring their offering. What this is saying to us, Liberty Hill, is although we might be surrounded by all this corruption and things that are that people are doing wrong, we are we still have a responsibility to do what's right. Not only right within the world, but also within the church. And a lot of times what we do is we see the corruption that's going on in the church and then we stop going. 
but continue to go, continue to present your offering to the Lord. It doesn't matter what um, Hophni and Phineas is doing. It doesn't matter what the preachers or people in leaderships are doing. It doesn't matter what they're doing. If they're corrupt and they're operating in corruption, keep doing what you're doing. You can't withhold the offering. The offering wasn't yours from the get. It belongs. Part of it belongs to the Lord. Part of it belonged to the priest. Again, Elkanah and Hannah continue to come up to the house of the Lord every year for their annual sacrifice. They continue to do what they were responsible to do. And then even the people, we can see in the with the people 13 through 14 and 15, where even though these priests were not doing right by these people, although they were taking more than their portion, although they were taking their portion before God, they still brought it. They still brought their sacrifice to the even to the point to where they say, don't bother God. Let God have his portion and then take what you want. These people's mind was on God, not on them. They were on God. And so as we close out this Bible study, I would like for us, I challenge us to think about some things this week. Think about those areas where we lack accountability. Think about those areas where we have some corruption going in within our own lives. And think about this. Even if we are not being held accountable by man, God will certainly hold us accountable. So let's do, let's do, even though all of this stuff is going on in the world, all of this stuff that has went on in, in D.C. with the politician, those in leadership and government and um, with our, you know, President Trump and all the stuff that comes with them. Can we choose to do what's right in spite of corruption? Well, that concludes our Bible study this week. I thank you all for tuning in and I pray that you have a blessed week. Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry.